0: Hi, this is Kathleen Thompson from Mike Novak's house. You're listening to Smart Talk, and being smart means staying home. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one.
1: If you put them outside, the squirrels will eat them. I'm not saying don't put them outside, but if you put them outside, the squirrels will eat them. I didn't have room inside, so I put them outside, and And the squirrels squirrels ate them, one by one. They only ate half of each one begun. They're no good to me now, and And they they no no longer longer hold hold attraction attraction to the squirrels. The squirrels squirrels come back back for the ones untouched, because I put them outside, and the squirrels are eating mm -hmm. them. They'll soon be gone, and and the squirrels will be fat. I knew that when I put them outside, I knew the squirrels would eat them. I knew that if you put them outside, the squirrels will eat them.
2: It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio, flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611.
3: Good planets are hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climbs, and true currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine, will. Good planets are hard to find
2: Good
4: planets are in the man This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com Jet streams, perfect air And here they are, Peggy Malecki and
2: Mike Novak.
0: Good planets are in the right? Ain't that right? (laughs) That's right.
5: Hey, welcome to the show. Uh, It's a beautiful, beautiful day in the neighborhood. And lickety-split, just like that, we get to the end of summer. Oh, Yeah. Like that. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, I know. It just seems like it didn't even exist this year um, because we were all so focused on other things. I I don't mean... um, uh, the actual day to summer we still got 3 weeks to go in september but meteorological summer ends with august and you know we're not at the, the end of the growing season either got more of that coming up um you know i've got my fall uh crops getting ready my snap peas over there getting ready to throw them in the backyard at some point so uh still, there's still there's a
0: couple little kales in
5: yeah, I've got I've got a dinosaur kale that's already like six inches tall in here. I'm going to get that out there and uh, um, and just keep rolling <laughs> until until the the cold <laughs> weather hits. All right. Uh, and today, uh, boy, am I pleased to have a, a, a raft of terrific guests on the show, and we're talking about farmers and food deserts and toxic donuts. And I would right. even. I know Uh, you'll find out how that all hangs together at some point during the show. Uh, I would even eat a toxic donut right now if I had, I would eat any kind of donut if I had it right now. Um, Yeah, go ahead. So, and this, uh, all of this uh, has to do with social justice. It has to do with the pandemic. It has to do with folks growing food and trying to sell food and consumers trying to buy food and where to get it, and the restaurants play uh, a part in this, and the collapse of the restaurant industry in America, which might end up being, well, aside from uh, more than 180,000 deaths, uh, the collapse of the restaurant industry might be the biggest casualty of of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so let's dive right into it, because we've got a couple of guys here on the the Zoomer, um, and, uh, I'm going to start with the guy up in the upper left corner here, but he's somewhere else on your screen. Uh, and that's Marty Travis, who is, uh, he's a farmer, uh, and he's a business guy. That is what I've learned from, uh, the research that I'm doing. Uh, and apparently a pretty good business guy. He's with Spence Farm in Fairbury, Illinois. It's 160 acres and it's the oldest farm in Livingston County. Marty, give us a little bit of a history of of that farm.
6: Sure. So it was settled in 1830 by my fourth great-grandfather, and my two grandkids are the ninth generation to live on that farm. Wow. It's a very diverse farm. It has woodland, recreated prairie, um, lots of alfalfa hay for Kilgus Farmstead that that we grow for them uh, to feed their cows during the winter. We do all kinds of vegetables and small grains uh, for cornmeal, um, flour, sorghum flour, rye flour, wheat flour, potatoes, peppers of all kinds. And just, it's, it's a pretty wonderful space.
5: And, and it's done regeneratively, isn't it?
6: That's correct. Yep. Um, so for, Basically, the last almost 20 years, there's been no conventional crops grown on that farm. It's all, um, we've either been certified organic or we continue to grow that way.
5: So you made the transition. What prompted that to happen?
6: (laughs) Um, My wife said one day, she said, and, and for 35 years, I had built Reproduction Shaker Furniture for clients all over the world. Um, for um, I furnished the Blue Cross Blue Shield executive floor in, there in Chicago. I did work for the Smithsonian, for Macy's, <clears throat> lots of folks. And she said, what would happen if you're perfectly healthy, but you can't do woodwork anymore? What would you do? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I said, well, we've got this cute little farm here. We ought to figure out something to do with it. Well, the doors flew open, and here we are. Um, wait, wait you're, you're telling me
5: that farming is not as difficult as making furniture?
6: Um, no, it's way more difficult. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's way more interesting in that there is so much to learn.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, so was the, yeah. was the land being farmed at all at that time?
6: Sure, it was, and it was being conventionally uh, farmed with, with corn and beans by one of our neighbor farmers.
5: Mm-hmm. So you got the commodities out there and decided to grow food.
6: Yep. And so now it's my son and I, and he does a ton of the heavy lifting, and I do a lot of the this kind of thing <laughs>
5: <laughs> well this kind of thing happens to be uh something that i found out about uh early in the pandemic which was uh i think at the end of march and i know i i uh, contacted you at the beginning of april uh you uh, and by the way you should know that um uh, marty's not a shy guy he's willing to put his <laughs> uh his thoughts out there uh, he wrote a book called My Farmer, My Customer, Building Business and Community Through Farming Healthy Food. Um, you get a ding for that. Uh, and then uh, you started a couple of uh, organizations to help your fellow farmers sell food, uh, primarily, uh, from what I understand, to restaurants. Right. And and uh, it turned into the latest version of that was Down at the Farms. And, and that's the name of the... Uh, the group, and when I first contacted you, you were uh, meeting with farmers, let's see if I get this right, meeting with farmers uh, down in central Illinois, about 60 of them, getting their produce, bringing it up to Chicago, uh, because at about that time, the restaurant uh, business had collapsed, and these farmers still had crops that they needed to sell and so you said well let's get together we'll we'll contact the people uh who were patrons of the restaurants i guess the chefs helped out quite a bit in getting the word out and then you schlepped all this stuff to three locations in chicago and would you know set up the truck i guess and unload the stuff i i never actually got to one of those is that kind of what happened
6: you're right on mike um we went in mid-March from one week of having 35 restaurants to the next week, three restaurants.
5: Wow! And ouch!
6: Um, it was rough, but in that in that week that led up to the three restaurants, we put out a social media post and ended up with about 150 individual family customers that next week, and You're right. We would all, you know, the individuals could order just the same way that the restaurants did off of the same list. So they had the same amount of access. And then we had three uh, drop locations at, at three of our restaurants in the city. This was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do is recreate a whole new system you know, a whole new business in the course of about six days. Yikes. And it was, it was brutal. Um, we were, I was probably spending between 90 and a hundred hours a week, um, working to, to keep everybody going.
5: It makes you want to go back to making furniture. I, I can imagine.
6: Whoa baby. Did it, did it ever? Uh,
5: um, I, and, I, so, and we've got a minute before we break here. Um, so, but I want to introduce our other guest, the other guy sitting there. Uh, and his name is Matt Wexler. And Matt, uh, in about uh, 30 seconds, and then we'll pick up your story, how did you get involved with Marty here?
4: So, in, um, in 2013, my wife and I uh, set out to make a documentary film about this sustainable food movement that was happening and uh, these uh, local farmers who were supporting the Chicago restaurants and, and farmer's markets. And um, my wife had been an editor for Rick Bayless's television show. And she asked Rick, you know, who you know this better than anyone, you know, who should we go talk to who's local? And and Rick said, you have to talk to Spence Farm.
5: All right. Let's let's hold it right there. You had to talk to Spence Farm. We'll come back with that story and the film. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. And we will be back.
0: We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phase of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving their trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com.
5: Our uh, audio should still be on Facebook now. This is uh, our bonus time for folks who watch uh, on the street. On the radio, we go to the commercials, and on Facebook and YouTube, uh, we keep the audio up and talk to our guests. Um, you, are you ready there, Matt, to give us a tour of
4: the uh, facility? Yeah. So for um, we'll
0: just need the um, audio description going along. Yeah, you'll have to radio. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm at the village farm stand place right now, which is a um, well. You, you don't you don't have
5: to you don't have to do it now. Just uh, stand by. I'm just I'm just I, I'm just preparing you for this, uh, and, and we will do it when I'm, we come I'm back. Yeah, I was sure, going sure. through your,
0: your shopping list, as it were, your your inventory. For Village yes. Farm Stand. And it sounds like you're going to have a whole lot of new things coming in. Coffees and, and hewn bread. And When oh, is, yeah. that is that going to come um, in? Is
4: that soup or next With, with, with each vendor, um, we're adding them on as we can. Um, I mean, this, this, you know, this whole business wasn't a thing until the pandemic happened. And I started talking with Marty. So we've we, we, we really built it in the last four or five months Um, and, um, we just want to make sure our process is right before we start adding too many, um, additional vendors who who produce great food, but the hewn bread should probably be coming in, in two weeks. And then the chocolate, chocolate should probably be coming in probably two to three weeks. So yeah, that's going to be really cool. And then Pleasant Ridge cheese probably be coming in a week or two. Okay. They're up in the Driftless area of Wisconsin.
0: So you already had prairie fruits there.
4: Yeah, Prairie Fruits. And through Marty, we, we just got a ton of uh, people. We, you know, we're supplying Janie's Mill and um, um, a lot of great, obviously, some amazing produce through Marty and, and Kilgis Dairy. So we're working with, you know, just an amazing amount of local producers.
5: That's fantastic. How, uh, how many would you say right now are on board?
4: Uh, between Marty's farms and and some of the other farmers that we're working with, um, probably between forty and fifty. Um, you know, Marty's network is, is is you know forty to sixty farms in any given week from his from his group. Is, you know, we have uh, product from about thirty five forty farms, and then we've added about another five farms on uh, outside of that. Once the uh, word got out. Uh, well, once we we wanted to. We wanted to fill our shelves with great products, right? And oh, so you, to, did you go searching to, for some of these um, uh, farms to, to fill? I'll, most of these farmers I knew, you know. Okay. Um, you know, we just picked up product from Green Acres from Indiana. They're at the Evanston Farmers Market, and uh, I I used to buy from them back at the Green City Market uh, mm-hmm. eight years ago. I first met them, so you know. And Greg Gunthorpe, we want. Uh, I've had a relationship with Greg for five six years and um have always admired the operation he's doing and and he needs the help more than anyone right now as he was doing a lot of restaurant business too so so uh, you know i wanted to bring in some products from greg too he he does the pork and chicken all pasture raised and um and then trying to bring in the farmers from the driftless region um okay i'm gonna have to hold you there because we're about to come back we've got about 20
5: seconds so stand by You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy.
0: What happens when your lilac sale gets postponed by a pandemic? If you're lilac town, you carefully nurture your plants and reschedule for an online sale in September. The Lombard Garden Club has a large selection of dwarf, semi-dwarf, and full-size shrubs. And due to the delay, the plants are bigger than usual and ready for immediate fall planting. Purchase your lilacs online and pick them up at Lilacia Park in Lombard, September 10th through 12th. Go to lombardgardenclub.org or click the lilac photo at MikeNovak.net. Chickens are pecking in the
3: gardens, growing sooner or later. It'll be snowing.
7: What a sight to see. Looks like home. Feels like home.
8: home
5: See, I told you the snow is on its way right now. I think we've got a forecast for snow later in the week. No. No, 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 no. Uh, That's Nat Frederick, uh, West Virginia Farmers Markets. Uh, It's a song called "Home to Me." That's I guess West Virginia Farmers Markets is the name of the uh, of the album. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are talking to Matt Wexler and Marty Travis about farmers and getting their food to customers during the pandemic. uh, Here in Illinois, we left with uh, Matt, who was telling us the story of uh, filming a documentary at uh, Spence Farm. Uh, And
4: uh, what did you find when you went to Spence Farm, Matt? What we found more than anything is potential, the potential to revitalize and revolutionize our food system, you know, through farmers like Marty, who have really honed in on growing amazing, fresh, healthy produce, and, and other products through agricultural means that, that, are, that work with our ecosystems, you know, and work, and work with uh, the soils and, 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 and don't uh, exploit those natural resources.
5: And uh, you, you ended up producing an award-winning documentary. Thank you so much. Uh, sustainable is uh, the name of it. And as a matter of fact, this morning on Facebook, um, Amy Bartucci wrote, wait, Marty is also going to be on your radio show tomorrow? I'm so glad I came across it. It's our future and One Earth Film Festival are co-hosting a screening of Sustainable in just a few weeks. I'll share your radio show uh, uh, description with the planning team. So, there we go. Uh, There's people... She's watching right now. (laughs) Yes, she is. So, thanks for doing that, Amy. Uh, So, let's fast forward because this is a shorter segment and we're going to have to wrap it up uh, in a few minutes. Uh, But... Fast forward to this year. You did the documentary in 2016. This year, um, there's Marty out there uh, killing himself, trying to deliver all these vegetables and drop them off at different locations, not only in, in Chicago, but in Peoria and in Champaign as well. You're a busy guy at that time. So how did, how is it, Matt, that you got involved with Marty this year?
4: Well, about a week after everything shut down, I... I... Called Marty and I, I. said I asked how how's how's it going, and I said first of all, uh, my wife and I would love to get your produce. We'd love to buy from you, uh, but secondly, what's your plan? How is this all going to work? And is it gonna is it gonna kill you guys? Are you are you going to be able to make it through this this summer? Um, you know, having to completely change your business model and and what can I do to help? You know, I really saw this as an opportunity I, early in COVID. You know, we saw problems with the meat industry, at the global meat industry, in terms of the supply chain. Um, you know, we saw farmers tilling crops under. We saw the milk industry dumping their milk. We saw the pork industry euthanizing their their pork, mm-hmm. and and coming into a pandemic. And the industrial food system is is dumping everything that they have and not feeding people. Um, I just felt like I, I I felt like this is the time to really. Try to push forward a better food system, you know, with with the farmers that care about doing it right. So
5: you had you had this food, and who had the idea to do it in a, a,
4: a brick and mortar shop? We talked about a whole bunch of ideas of what do you need, and 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 Marty can chime in too. But w- what what they really needed was people to sort the orders and distribute the orders, and um, I felt. At the exact same time, um, uh, a really amazing bakery in Evanston called Hewn was moving to the north side of Evanston, and they were going to leave this amazing storefront uh, that that was a beacon for organic and and local uh, products um, available. And I said, this would be an amazing storefront for a little local grocery store. So you
5: guys uh, managed to get the property. Are you renting it? Did you buy it?
4: We're, yeah, we're leasing
5: it. You're so leasing it, okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm now I'm going to have you, Matt, uh, for those of us on uh, Facebook uh, and YouTube, you can uh, wander around the space and just show it off to us, and maybe, Marty, sure. you can comment about um, how this, because you used to send out, you know, you talk about working hard. Every week you'd also write all this description of everything, uh, and I would get these emails and just be amazed by how much was going on. So, Matt, go ahead and take your, uh, sure, your sure. camera around. So I'm gonna and, press a, and I was going to say Village Farm Stands at 810 Dempster in Evanston. Right, right and it's so called Village Farm Stand. Uh, folks should know that. Oh, look at that. That is an amazing so, wow. space.
4: So, yeah, so you walk in there, and then you just walk to the counter. And when you walk to the counter, your, your food just comes right to you you order online um v- and-
5: village villagefarmstand.com it's that easy yeah. just go to villagefarmstand.com i'll take you into the back here Well, you marty you you must be uh, thrilled to have uh, an area like this
6: you have no idea mike how our our our, our weeks have become much much easier mm-hmm. um, we were concerned even for a lot of the mental health of our farmers of having to pack hundred fifty 200 one pound packs of everything yeah Matt's taken that stress away
5: really so where did you find the 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 people to do this
4: uh Matt well, or Marty go ahead Marty I no, no keep going Matt uh first of all here's this is the the cooler that we built that we is is kind of like a, a cooler warehouse uh, so to speak where we pick the orders and then we store the orders here's a handful of orders that'll be picking up today. Um, But we, the thing is, is so I, am involved in the, you know, the film industry and when COVID happened, the the film industry just shut down completely. Mm -hmm. And I started talking with a bunch of buddies of mine and they were out of work. Right. And I said to my one buddy who has helped me with all my films, I, I said, what do you think about doing this grocery store thing with me? And he was all about it. And it just so happened. His, his sister was very good at, at, um, at, at doing all the back end parts of it, so he had someone to help him with that.
5: That's um, um, amazing. Look, uh, unfortunately, this is uh, commercial
4: radio. We're going to have to wrap up here. So, when are you? When's the store open? Um, the store is open Thursday through Sunday. We're still working with our store hours. Um, people can uh, email us at info at villagefarmstand if they want to uh, tell us when they think the store should be open. That'd be great. All I got to say is, a website. Uh, yeah.
5: yeah, congratulations to both of you. What a fantastic story. Marty, Travis, Matt Wexler. Thank you for doing this. Folks should go up there. What an inviting space it is. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, we talk food deserts. I, it went fast, but fantastic stuff. Great. And and I want to talk to both of you again. Let's, let's follow this up. Um, uh, as we move forward and see how well this works uh, for farmers, because I have a feeling uh, it's going to take a while for the restaurant industry to get back on its feet. Um, we're talking right. years.
0: Yep. And, yep. and congratulations, time. by the way, on your grant.
6: Well, thank you. Thank you. It's There's so many moving parts to this, let me tell you, but we are so grateful to be able to move as much as we are. And thank you for for sticking with us, being patient, and creating this this space for us to share.
5: Well, thank you, guys. i got to move on. We've got more guests coming into the Zoom room. So uh, you guys have a great uh, Sunday, and we'll talk soon
0: folks at blazing star know that good soil biology means good soil that's why they sell products from trusted industry leader tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health in other words whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants go to blazing-star.com and check out their bio garden line for home gardeners Even in the middle of
5: a pandemic, we need to be prepared to bring about a just recovery. That's the theme of the Faith in Place 2020 Green Team Summit from September 13th to the 17th. This year, it's a virtual event, so folks can attend from all over the country. Workshops will connect the dots from faith to climate change to racial justice to public health. Peggy and I will be part of it, and we hope you will be too. Help us create healthier communities. Go to faithinplace.org. We've only got about nine minutes here, so we're just going to do what we can do uh, to talk to our guests. And um, they are folks from the uh, Austin neighborhood. I'm going to start with Rodney Williams, Sr., uh, Director of Entrepreneurship and Economic Development with something called By the Hand Kids Club. Uh, Rodney, uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for putting up with our technical difficulties. You want to explain a little bit about By the Hands Kid Club?
8: Okay. Yeah. Um, well I've been uh part of By the Hand Club for Kids for the last five years. September I will be entering into my sixth year. Um it's a faith-based after school program. Um and we kind of, you know, target, you know, the urban uh low income areas and um just places, you know, that need us the most. And um we we, we kind of um service those families, uh, we, we, you know, we look for kids who are not necessarily doing the best in school that need our help the most. Um, Keith and Azaria don't fit that category in, anymore. They are amazing scholars. Um, they are doing extremely well. Uh, but for the most part, uh, we have five locations. We're in Austin, Cabrini Green. We have two locations in Austin, um, Cabrini Green, um, Altgale Garden, and then um, – Englewood, yes, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Um, most of our sites we go from first to 12th grade. Um, And and, um, we, we, you know, our desire is to take kids by the hand and and, and offer them, you know, abundant life all the way through college. Um, For the most part, we try to build long lasting relationships with families. Um, And many of those families, uh, many of those relationships never end. We have even some of our kids who have graduated and now are on staff. So, Um, You know, we just really, you know, love what we do. We love our ability to, you know, again, partner with families and just be a blessing to the community.
5: Uh, And it sounds like you are, especially right now in the Austin neighborhood. Um, Yes. uh, Azaria, uh, how did the you you guys just put up a a store where you can sell produce and you can sell flowers and other things? Tell us how that came together.
9: Well, after the rioting and the looting of the George Floyd protests, like it was a way for us to really look, reflect on our actions, and figure out how can we heal and move forward. So, um, the athletes, police officers, and students of By the Hand we all came together in things we like to call peace circles, which basically we set like a tone of conversation to discuss a matter we'd like to talk about. And one thing we repeatedly kept popping up was, what do we do now? You know, how do we move on from this? How do we, like, make ourselves a reflection? So we looked after this, we took a bus tour, um, which I led, and we got to see, like, just so many different parts of our communities, and it all looked the same, you know? Like, this is where I grew up my entire life, and there's no grocery stores here, or things are broken down, and... I really wanted to adjust to people that there is still hope here. So one of the things we thought of was why not add a grocery store? You know, we have 17 liquor stores. Why not be the hope for this community?
5: And when you say we, who who was the we? Just a, a bunch of kids in the organization. Uh, you also mentioned your partners. You've got Sam Acho mm-hmm. from the from the Bears who yeah, in- has Athletes for Justice. Uh, you said, you mentioned the police mm-hmm. were involved in this uh, as well.
1: And yes,
9: then- that's what it actually started. It was, um, the, our group of kids, the police officers, and the Bears. But during this process, we've um, gotten so many more supporters. Like, everybody has been so helpful throughout this process, even our sponsors and the people that we work with, like our partnerships, Flowers yeah. and Dreams. They always come in, they're helpful, like, they exceed what they're supposed to do because we're all working for this mission of really helping people. Mm-hmm.
5: So Keith Tankson uh, is also with us today. Um, and uh, I, I should mention that uh, that was uh, Azaria Baker, and uh, this is Keith Tankson, and, and you were involved in this as well. What's it like trying to run a store in uh, the Austin neighborhood?
7: Trying to run the store in the Austin neighborhood. Um, once you get past, like, preparing the displays, it's really challenging, but... Once you start getting stuff going, it's very wholesome seeing the smiles on people's faces of what you're trying to do in the neighborhood and what you're trying to acquire and just give the necessities of what we didn't have for so long. Um, just It's very wholesome just having that feeling and the satisfaction that we're giving something that the neighborhood didn't have for such a long time. If this is
5: successful, Keith, do you think there will be more stores like this?
7: Many more stores that would be permanent.
5: So, uh, right now, um, what I I understand, uh, this was the site of a liquor store, but you raised the building and then created something else. You're nodding, Rodney.
8: Yes. So, um, we we and you know I've been a part of Byland like I said for five years, and I think we've been trying to get that liquor store more than ten years. Yeah. Um, And so, you know. Again, you know, we were able to act, you know, finally get it and um, do something different with it. Um, the goal is to um, eventually have a brick and mortar building, you know, mm-hmm. a, a pop up market, something permanent um, in the community um, that will, you know, again change, the, you know, what Austin is known for. We, you know, we always talk about how so many other communities have things that they're known for. Well, unfortunately, Austin, you know, it's only known for homicides. You know, that's we've been number one in homicides for years. Um, Nobody thinks about Austin and say, hey, let's go to that particular restaurant or let's go to that particular store or let's do this or let's do that. When they think Austin, for for so long, it's been about just the the negative things. And so now to have something like this, you know, led by students, and and it's honestly being led by the students, you know, they have had – they, they played a, a major major role in every decision that's been made up to this point point. and so I think the community is just extremely excited you know just to see this student-led initiative uh, taking place and and then what we decided to actually do with the space
5: yeah and and, and you should know it's at 423 North Laramie Avenue um, and the uh, uh, the store runs hours are Monday Wednesday and Friday three to six. P.M. two to six. I'm sorry, what? Two to six P.M. Two to six. I'm sorry, I must. That's a typo here. Sorry, two to six P.M. uh, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, Does that get in the way of school, Azaria?
9: Well, we actually some of us have started school, so the people who are choosing to do hybrid learning, they can come in and work later on in our hours. But for the rest of us who are going to be doing the online learning, like completely. We actually, some of us don't start till September 8th, and even through that, like it's our business and we're entrepreneurs, so like we get to work around our own schedule. Oh, great! And out, so, you no, know, don't like exclude anybody doing for the school part of it, like we kind of introduce it to our schedules. Uh, I
5: have one more question that I'm gonna to have to let you guys go, Keith. Do you, do you think this is gonna set you up uh, for? Uh jobs in, in the future and uh, when you move on from the store?
7: I definitely will, especially with all the entrepreneurial skills that we have been learning. Um, just like dealing with customer service, troubleshooting skills that we have developed with our team. Um, another thing that just builds us is the teamwork and the communication that we have. It's going to be a very good thing to have in the future when we do get real jobs. Is it's just gonna follow into the
5: future fantastic listen uh, again I apologize for the technical difficulties earlier but I'm gonna bring you guys back because we're gonna do this we're gonna do this right um, this is kind of on the fly here um, but Rodney Williams senior Azaria Baker Keith Tankson, thank you so much for being on the thank show you. with us and and we're gonna talk again real soon
8: thank um, you Mike. No
5: thank you for having us all right have a great Sunday Deal. You too you it's the Mike Elbach Show with Peggy Malecki. More to come.
0: COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Award still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second garden video challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page, where viewers can vote for their favorite gardens. And yes, there will be prizes. Go to chicagogardeningawards.com or click the logo at mikenovac.net. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because
9: together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more.
4: Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
5: All I need is good food to eat, and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bake. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food. Very to make pleased make to have cheese. Peggy Salazar, uh, who is the executive director Uh, the Southeast Environmental Task Force. Are you the executive director or just the director, Peggy? Executive director. Okay, just want to make sure. I got it right here. (laughs) Um, And a lifelong resident of Chicago's southeast southeast side and has been involved in community environment issues uh, for as long as I've known you, and it's been a while.
10: um, Probably too long. Too long.
5: Yeah, well, but you know what? I have to tell you, you And uh, people like Tom Shepard introduced me to what was going on on the southeast side. All right. Yeah, Um, when you live on the north side, you don't see it. As I have said many times, this is now my standard phrase, uh, because once you've toured the southeast and you see the remnants of industry uh, from over 100 years ago, um, you're just kind of stunned that it all exists next to people's homes and the environmental degradation that happens on the southeast side. And it's not a joke, but I I often say that people in Palatine have no idea. So you folks in Palatine, and it's not just you, it's the whole north side, you need to take one of those tours. And that's kind of how I got to know the Mm -hmm. southeast side, because you would do these tours, Peggy Salazar, um, and, and take people and say, let's go look at the remnants of industry and what uh, the legacy of that uh, industry has been on the Southeast side. Uh, have you done any of those lately?
10: Well, now with the COVID. I mean, we do well, have obviously, a couple yeah. of students. We have a couple of students that come in and we'll accommodate them in our office and we kind of just give them a, an overview of things. Uh, but the reason for those tours was more than just the legacy. It was also the current impacts because people, you know, the fact that no one knows we're there, you know, north siders don't know the southeast side, west siders don't know, that it's because we're almost non-existent. And the reason for that is because there's no investment in our community, where we don't have any beautiful landmarks, we don't have much of anything. And the assets that we do have, which I think, Mike, you're aware of, the uh, recent new uh, newly uh, preserved areas that were open space, Right. We can't fully enjoy them. They're not completed. They're all still in a state of work. You know, they're all trying to be restored. And, uh, and, and even if they this, are, this, was this can't really like enjoy them.
5: For 2014, you know, with uh, Governor Pat Quinn, and they were going to open up Lake Calumet, and, and there was going to be open areas, and, and some
10: of that got but, done. But the preservation work initially started in 2000, and here yeah. we are. And we yeah. still, nothing's complete. And so and there's been so many things we've had to push the envelope for and it just doesn't make sense to us that we've been ignored. But if you look at it from a city's perspective, it sort of makes sense because I've been telling people most recently, we are here to accommodate accommodate the revitalization of the city of Chicago. So every time they want to renew an area, re you know have an area revitalize the community and there's something they don't want that exists there they have a space to send it to and we're the recipients of all of that nasty stuff that nobody else wants Mm -hmm. so in a way we are here to accommodate not to participate but to accommodate
5: uh, okay uh uh, that's that's an interesting way of putting it let's go to to, yeah uh Uh, go ahead.
0: Uh, I I was just going to say that is a very interesting way to phrase it that I don't think most people consider until they look at what's going on. Yeah, right, right. Somebody who who all. Yeah, and and, and I think, I'm sorry, but it it
10: became very clear to me when a few years ago we had two different companies buying for vacant uh, property, right, that was pretty much contaminated in some sense, but They were vying for it because they now wanted to put a recycling um, facility for construction waste. And they talked about all the construction waste and all of that stuff that was going to be uh, coming because of the revitalization of the city of Chicago. So they needed somewhere to put it. So once again. Put it in the south, put it on the southeast side. Doesn't matter that it's across the alley from where people live. Doesn't matter that, you know, we're going to see piles of broken concrete and asphalt and things like that. That doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter that it's on our river that is always constantly abused. And so um, that's when I realized, okay, we're here to accommodate. We're not here to participate.
5: Wow okay let's go to gina ramirez uh midwest outreach manager at the natural resources defense council or nrdc uh also uh a uh uh, resident of the southeast side um an active member and this is this goes back to some of the stuff that peggy and i've talked about in the past and i've talked with other people about you are an active member of the coalition to ban pet coke uh and that for many years was a big issue piling up pet coke uh which is a uh, uh, well, I'll let you explain that, uh, Gina.
2: Yeah, so Peckcock was an issue a few years back. I was pregnant during the time, so it really concerned me that there was black dust um, swirling through the air, um, and I had a newborn. Mm-hmm. And so I became involved, and with that fight, so many more issues started coming up that we're still addressing today. Um, air monitors were put in place to monitor the pet coke and those air monitors picked up a neurotoxin manganese. Um, And that can cause developmental disabilities in children and it's been found in high levels in the air and in the soil. And we're still trying to get that remediated here on the Southeast side. There's been manganese found in our little league field that children play on and lead and arsenic. So the EPA actually this summer came out and remediated some soil at uh, one of the little league fields in Heglish. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a super fun site so basically everywhere you turn on the southeast side you know you're just slapped in the face with with pollution and I, my son is six years old now um you know i'm rooted here i'm a third generation resident and i love where i live and so i'm just you know working with peggy and nrdc day in and out to try to uh, you know clean up the neighborhood
5: uh and- i think
10: I think that, Mike, that's what people don't understand. There are generations here, and for most people today, they probably don't have an idea what it's like to live in a neighborhood where you can go visit your aunt and you can go down the street and see your brother. And I mean, those kinds of of community networks don't exist uh, everywhere anymore. So we want to hold on to what we have, but we just want to make it better. We want to improve the quality of life for everybody. And even if I were to move today, I would still be concerned about the people that are left behind.
5: Yeah, and, and not only can you go down the block and you visit an aunt, you visit a cousin, uh, you can also go down the block and say, find a keep out sign uh, because it's too dangerous to go into that area, whatever it is. I mean, that's that's also part of the legacy <laughs> of the Southeast side, isn't it?
10: Yeah. Yes, it is. Like Gina said we have super fun sites, uh, multiple ones. Okay, uh, the fact that they had to dig up and remove soil from little leak fields, and you know, that that's those are the fields that have been tested. We have other fields that haven't been tested, well, of so course. We're yeah, no, that. and so, imagine. uh, those are the issues that we contend with. And you know, when the steel mills left here, like I said, my husband worked in the steel mill, so I was crushed when the steel mills left initially mm-hmm. because that's what we knew. And then I looked at it from a different perspective and said, hey, wait a minute, that means our neighborhood will possibly get better, right? It's gonna become cleaner and shinier. And that didn't happen at all. And the opportunity was there to do the major type of cleanup that could have been done when the properties were still vacant. Instead, they allowed other companies to come in that were contaminating the soil, polluting the air, because their attitude was, well, it's already that way. So what does it matter? if we just bring some more of that stuff over there
5: and there's a famous photograph famous to me maybe famous to you peggy of you uh when you if you google peggy salazar southeast side chicago of you doing this with your hand and it's coated in black 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 dust black pet coke dust okay people used to be able inside their home they'd go like this across the windowsill and come out with black dust and that's what you were talking about, Gina. So what happened? There was a law passed that they had to contain the Petco indoors. How how has that worked out?
2: There is no longer open stored piles of Petco, but it still goes through the neighborhood through barge and rail. So it's kind of a little bit out of sight, out of mind in the neighborhood, but to us environmentalists, we know it's still there. And we know that there's also all of this other legacy pollution that's unaddressed. So, that's why we're so vigilant on trying to prevent other industries like general iron from moving yeah. in, because we still haven't, we still There's haven't, completely, yeah, we still haven't completely eliminated everything that's, uh, yeah. that's here.
5: So yeah. this is, this is, and, and by the way, when we, at the very start of the show, when uh, all the, uh, the radio and uh, Facebook stuff were working properly, um, I was going to tie all this together because we talked about farmers and we talked about food deserts on the West side and, toxic donut on the South side. Um, if, 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 if there was an editorial uh, in the Tribune uh, just the other day uh, on Chicago Southeast side, the peril of living in a toxic donut. And you guys who are down there know this. So Gina, you brought up the reason you're here. We talked about all of this stuff and all, the, the legacy of everything only to say, guess what folks, it's still happening. It's not it's not just that this stuff happened in the past and you guys fixed it. Um, It a lot of it hasn't been fixed. The the ground is still contaminated and and the water is still contaminated and the air is still contaminated. And yet the city of Chicago, in its infinite wisdom, has decided to let uh, industry come Mm -hmm. move from the north side to the south side. All right, um, and, and that is the uh, the uh, um, General Iron Industries, uh, which has been in Lincoln Park, and people complain about it up there, uh, you know. And it, and basically, it's a little taste of what you guys get yeah. down there. So the people in Lincoln Noxious Park not fumes are- and noise and
0: everything that comes with it.
5: Yeah. Yes. So the city of Chicago is has had made an agreement to allow them to go to the southeast side. Um, tell us why that's not such a good idea gina although we already know
2: yeah so it's an auto shredder it's really noisy um it has the potential to be a major pollution source in our air and in our water um these shredders shouldn't be near homes and schools and public spaces and this shredder is moving just a few hundred feet away from our our park rowan park and our high school george washington high school In general, Iron is a terrible neighbor. Um, They had a fire in 2015. They were shut down in 2016. They were shut down this year because of Mm a fire. They have so many um, excessive air emissions. So this would be another industry that the southeast side would have to be policing. The the burden would fall on the residents' shoulders, just like how it always has been.
5: But wait, there's more. Okay, um,
10: I, and
2: I'm gonna.
5: I, I
10: need wait, to. Wait, Mike. Out. Can I add, wait, Mike? I want to add to that. What people also have to understand is, we already have eight other scrap metal yards. We already wow. have scrap metal piles and piles of rusting scrap metal. Okay, I need. I
5: need to hold year. you for a second. Just to ask Nancy. Are we going to break here? Are we breaking yes, at the sir. usual time? Yes, sir. Oh, yes, we are. So there we go. We'll be back with Peggy Salazar, Gina Ramirez. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Looks like we're kind of back on schedule. Stick around, please. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phases of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com.
0: Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh five-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us.
5: What happens when your lilac sale gets postponed by a pandemic? If you're Lilac Town, you carefully nurture your plants and reschedule for an online sale in September. The Lombard Garden Club has a large selection of dwarf, semi-dwarf, and full-size shrubs. And due to the delay, the plants are bigger than usual and ready for immediate fall planting. Purchase your lilacs online and pick them up at Lilacia Park in Lombard, September 10th to 12th. Go to LombardGardenClub.org or click the lilac photo at MikeNovak.net
1: oh yeah i love clean air and fresh water
5: i want solid
1: ground right where i can stand and i say oh yeah give me the flora and the fauna that's a non-negotiable demand
5: yeah that is our friend b r and uh, the clean air and water song it actually has a verses about fracking in there um, and uh, hey I guess uh, Peggy Salazar and Gina Ramirez you should be grateful they're not trying to frack in in the 10th Ward as well Let's why don't we just set up a fracking operation don't
10: speak too soon <laughs> and, and <laughs> run a pipeline
5: through it as well uh, w- welcome back to the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki as I mentioned uh, uh, Gina Ramirez is with us from the NRDC uh, Peggy Salazar from the Southeast Environmental Task Force we were just talking about the plan to take uh, General Iron from the north side, move it to the south side. Why? Because the north side doesn't put up with that stuff. And the south side is the dumping ground. And that's the way it's always worked in Chicago. And I guess it continues to work that way. And Peggy, you brought up a point during the break that is remarkable, that it would become the largest scrap iron operation in the city once it moves to the southeast side.
10: Yes, it would. And so what that means for us, of course, is the amount of pollution. Uh, The fact also that the truck truck traffic will be horrendous. We did an informal truck count. And we, at this point in time, counted 200 trucks going through an intersection in an hour, in any intersection in our neighborhood, 200 trucks plus. This is now. We still don't have the warehouses that they're building completed. We still don't have general iron moving down here. So we can't even envision what the truck traffic is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And those were all of our concerns we voiced that when you concentrate industry in one area, these are the other impacts to the community that it has that nobody cares about or gives consideration to. And so uh, this is why we said concentrating industry, that probably isn't the best idea. Um, we don't like it. It, hasn't, it has proven it isn't good for our community. Like I said, nobody knows we exist. Why? It's a community nobody wants to move to. Nobody wants to live here unless you've been here already. And then you tend to stay and fight to make it better. And the and skyway
0: just goes over all of it. So you don't even yes. see it. Right. Even yeah. That's it. a
10: nice,
5: good point, Peggy. It's just, yep, let's just fly by this. So not mm-hmm. only that. So we have this, General Iron, which is... Uh, they're making plans to move to the southeast side and now we have the u.s army corps of engineers planning to expand a toxic dump on the shoreline of lake michigan with rising waters right at the i'm sorry what with rising lake waters with that's the point i was going to make uh with uh climate change and rising lake waters what could possibly go wrong gina can you explain what's going on there
2: yeah so the calumet river is completely surrounded by industry and the result of that is that the army corps needs to come in every 20 years and dredge the bottom um because there's so much toxic sediment and so you know they came out to our neighborhood gave these presentations our alderman was in an uproar because all of the proposed locations were places where we fought to get them cleaned up they were places where pet coke was was stored so and those are really close to people's homes so the only thing left that they that the Army Corps feels like that they can do is expand the existing CDF, which is combined disposal facility, which I like to call a fancy term for a landfill. Mm-hmm. And that is right at the mouth. It's right by Calumet Park Beach. It's right by Lake Michigan. Um, you know, there's concerns that it, the one that exists there is already leaking. So these are the kinds of horrible options that we have to make, um, decisions we have to make in the neighborhood. Like, it's, where do we put this garbage, here or here, um, when people on the north side are, you know, deciding which beautiful park or amenity that
0: they're going to get? And um, just and to set context, it's like 25 feet tall? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna put another dump on top of the old one,
5: 25 feet up and operating for another 20 years. But uh, I saw a piece from uh, Friends of the Parks, um, uh, uh, Juanita Irizarry, uh, who wrote, this is land that was supposed to have been turned back over to the community in 1994. And now why, why is it that the Army Corps of Engineers still has its paws on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like living as a southeast sider, that the that all the land is just deemed for industry. It's not really considered to be, you know, something that the residents can take part in. And that's horrible, because our beach is, like, completely gone at Calumet Park. Like, <laughs> there's, like, a little patch of sand, and I grew up going there. So, it's just really terrifying that they do want to expand it but what are our options like peggy was saying we need to think of new and innovative ways to address this and if there's still so much concentration of industry 20 years from now they're going to have to dredge it again so is our whole neighborhood just going to be filled with like all of these dredgings we need a solution to like clean up the neighborhoods that we don't even have to think about this in 20 years.
10: Yes, and, and that's the that's the point. Also, we like Gina said, we weren't given we weren't really given choices. I mean, we really did not want another landfill. We fought so hard against landfills we didn't want another because the sites were closer to residential areas they were going to take up more land space and once it was used for that it would be locked in for you know decades to come and so this was a compromise that we set we sort of settled on Uh, friends of the parks though is is really about getting that for the park space and again if if the current cdf is leaking then we should be saying, get it out of there. Remove yeah. all of that stuff, because then it's a danger no matter what. And Don't they're not going to it. do that. They're not going to do that, okay? Uh, so the question well, well, becomes... Um, you say they're not going to do that. Who who has... The their- Army Corps. Yeah. The Army Corps is not going to do that. The government's not going to do that, because they're who all has, about... Who has
5: jurisdiction here? Can't, can't the city of Chicago say, no, we're going to put a park here. Instead, you guys are going to figure out a way to get this out of here.
10: Well, the city of Chicago could do that, but then they're also going to then inherit a leaking landfill. Think about that. And no money to clean it up. They're going, right. And so the correct solution would be to remove the entire thing, admit that it should have been there to begin with, and let's do it right. But they're not going to do that either. So it's sort of a band-aid approach, no matter which way we go. And the idea of landfilling it somewhere else is basically putting it in somebody else's backyard. In some cases,
5: I think putting and, it on a barge, take it up to Lake Forest. Wh- what's what's the
10: problem? Funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, no. Uh, uh, you know, no, I'm just I'm just saying we don't we don't like to do that personally. We don't like to see it go in someone else's backyard, and that's why I said what is the need best a different solution. solution
5: but it's going to have to go somewhere. It's like nuclear waste. Okay, where? Right. Do- put it nobody wants nuclear waste nobody wants it well that's why we have
10: to stop these industries from polluting our lake to start with and that's where friends of the parks and open land should be helping us they should be helping us to keep things like general iron off the river to begin with because it's only adding to the situation it's going to be dredged and dredged and dredged and if they allow this pollution to keep running in including legacy pollution That um, private property that people own, it's vacant property, it's not being, the the actual contaminants that are there are not being addressed, they're not being forced to address them, so the runoff will carry it into the river. This is crazy. This doesn't, this should be unacceptable. So we care about our river, and that's why we're trying to keep things like General Iron and other nasty businesses from moving in. Just because there's vacant space doesn't mean it has to be occupied by that type of industry.
5: I, I absolutely agree, but as you say, it's complicated, but it sounds like we're not we're not getting serious about coming up with real solutions about it. As you say, it's a band-aid approach and hey, uh the Army Corps has got guys and we got trucks and we got uh machinery and we can dredge it and just and just pilot and uh we'll get back to you in twenty years about yeah. this. Uh, But what about the idea, though, that it's land that should have been turned back over to the city? You're just saying the city doesn't have the capability to deal with it anymore. So they're sort of backing off and saying, oh, okay, you know, do what you got to do. It sounds like it to me. So what about? Well,
10: I, I think I think the Army Corps tried to address our concerns. Like I said, we were adamant about not another landfill. We did not want a new, brand new landfill in our community. And so that was their solution to that. I mean, and I'm surprised they even listened to us. Let's be honest. But, but again, they're concerned about the park space. I don't know. Is it a good idea to put park space on a contaminated site? That's another discussion in itself. But um, I'm just saying we don't want another landfill at all we fought it. I mean, those are turning points when you make those kinds of decisions and you hold your ground, because we could have easily said, okay, just go put it on another industrial site. What do we care? Out of sight, out of mind. We weren't going to accept that. It was not acceptable to us. All
5: right. Getting back to General Iron, how do you, we've got two minutes left. How do you, Gina, keep them out of the Southeast side?
2: The ball is in the mayor's court. So we're applying the public pressure on um, trying to gain as much political power as we can to deny RMGs, who, the company that they're expanding with their permits. They still haven't applied for their permits. So we need everyone on board to let Lori Lightfoot know to not continue the concentration of industry on the southeast
10: side.
5: That's put very succinctly. And,
2: and- you know, Mike,
10: like we say, if this stuff has to exist and we know recycling, we're not against recycling. But then we should all, like we say, why should only certain people bear the burden, right? We should all take a share. Leave it up north. Let them institute all the the pollution controls they can, but leave it where it is. Don't bring it to us.
5: Uh, That's a good way to end this. Thank you, Peggy Salazar from the Southeast Environmental Task Force. Thank you, Gina Ramirez from the NRDC. Uh, I imagine if folks want to get involved, they can go to either organization and see what they can do to help right yes
10: yes
5: yeah and that information is on my website put
10: pressure
5: on the mayor the De- I'm gonna put some pressure on the mayor if I can I just I had a speech all prepared but I'm not I don't have time right now thank you so much for being on the show Rick DeMaio weather and climate and we wrap this up coming up next
0: Are you ready to make a difference by supporting sustainability, civic, and interfaith engagement? Be part of the Faith in Place 2020 Green Team Summit, September 13th through 17th. This year, it's virtual. And sponsors can reach more than 25,000 citizen activists, families, students, and faith leaders through promotions, social media, and emails. Go to greenteamsummit.org to become a sponsor. Or sign up to attend workshops on climate crisis, health, clean energy, and more. That's at faithinplace.org.
5: COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second garden video challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for the best. Yes, there will be prizes. Go to chicagogardeningawards.com or click the logo at mikenovac.net.
4: I love the sound Of summer rain I love the sunshine When skies are blue again But soon the autumn wind Will put a chill Into my bones I hate to see
5: the summer go. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And yeah, we all hate to see the summer go. That's our friend Mark Dvorak. Great song. That's a terrific song. He's got some good ones. And uh, we, we have his new CD. Uh, we need to have him back on the show sometime. Not live in the studio, but maybe we can get him to play something on the Zoom machine. Let's go over to hey, media.
0: Someone's car alarm's going on outside.
5: Oh, good. Uh, Coming through the mic. Why don't you get the... Uh, uh, <laughs> Basil to start barking as well. Okay. Um, Rick DeMille, do you have any dogs there that uh, can start barking on cue for you?
3: Uh, Yeah. I I have my dog Jacks on my leash right now. I'm up here in southern Wisconsin and um, as I am every Sunday, but um, I don't think you need that at this point, right?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't. No, the locusts are coming soon yep. too. Oh, lordy,
5: lordy, lordy, lordy!
3: Yeah,
5: uh, but at least you guys—you guys, you guys noticed not only how sunny it
3: is, but how blue the sky is.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, Lots of fluffy it, clouds yeah. out there.
5: Well, why is that, Mister um, Meteorologist?
0: Well,
3: that's a, hold on a second. Peg mentioned the fluffy clouds. Uh, those are the lake effect clouds. It's a Cold air mass coming in across the warm waters of Lake Michigan. If you go a little bit further north, there's tons of lake-asset clouds, even overcast conditions. Pretty much from about offshore Wisconsin up through Green Bay and literally all of the UP of Michigan. But in areas where uh, we had clear skies and light Mm -hmm. winds, uh, temperatures cooled off quite a bit. This is the coolest we've been since back on the 5th of August.
5: Wow. Wow.
3: Uh, O'Hare Field made it down to 60. Aurora. 52 Paxton, Illinois, uh, which is in the south, southwest suburbs, which everybody kind of like, you know, just dis- admitted, you know, kind of like looks away at from a standpoint of, you know, oh, well, they'll south and west of us. They're not going to get as cool, but you can get pretty cool down there. Uh, Paxton hit 49. Uh, wow. But the cool spot in the Midwest this morning, guys, was um, Tomahawk, Wisconsin, up near Eagle River. Dropped down to 37 degrees. Uh, that's, that's pretty chilly, even for late August. But one of the reasons why the sky is so blue is the wind has finally turned from that west southwest direction, which it has been from uh, for about three weeks now, bringing that smoke and haze uh, from the wildfires that we had a couple weeks ago in California. Yeah. And now the wind has turned around to the north, so this is a really nice, refreshing change. Not only from the standpoint of temperature and dew point. Uh, but also it's bringing in some clear air from Canada. You know, that wasn't the case a couple of years ago. Remember, we had all the wildfires in Canada. Yeah. From, right, right. So from the north, the sky was kind of like milky. Remember that?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. Well, I, yeah. I noticed last night how clear the moon was, You could that the moon wasn't orange last yeah. night. It was very clear.
3: Yeah, you notice that, Peg. Yeah, and not only that, but you can actually see the stars as well. I, I think I got up at about 2 in the morning because the moon had already set, and I was like, wow, I haven't seen stars in quite some time. So this has really been fantastic weather if you want to be outside and enjoy, you can. But, man, if you're a plant or a gardener, uh, you are looking for any way you can replenish soil moisture, because we are down, guys, only .8 inches since the 1st of August. And I was checking out the Northern Illinois Agricultural Site, uh, and we're getting literally losing about four-tenths of an inch of water every day. And that's quite a bit, even in late August, due to the fact that we've been so dry uh, and full sun, you could do that. So you literally have to give your plants, if you water them every two days, literally a full inch of water to get them back where they should be.
5: That's, uh, that's remarkable. And isn't August usually one of the wetter months uh, uh, in our part of the country?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially in the Midwest, we've actually trended from more wetness in June to more wetness <laughs> in August. Um, and, you know, what? if you look at the overall drought map that I sent you, and even the 30-day precip, the, the dryness is really in a very narrow area, pretty much from Rockford down to about Champaign, and then you go all the way west through the state line, across the state line into Iowa. But you go up into Minnesota and Wisconsin and further south, um, they've been the recipients of either these weak systems that have come out of the Gulf of Mexico and produced these steady kind of small-scale, you know, two- or three-day rain events from, like, say, Springfield, Missouri to St. Louis over to Indianapolis. Or you're getting these, you know, these mesoscale thunderstorm complexes uh, that come out of North Dakota and move through Minnesota and parts of Wisconsin. In fact, just two days ago, six-and-a-half inches of rain uh, up around the La Crosse the Oak Field area. And get this, guys, for the month of August, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, General Mitchell Field Airport, 8.0 inches of rain. Eight inches of rain. Wow. And we've had literally less than an inch here in Chicago. So it's basically been hit or miss. Not widespread, but where it's missing, it's missing really big.
5: That's amazing. That I mean, that's only 90 miles away, uh, uh, roughly.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's persistent. And I know, Mike, I think you mentioned in one of your emails, and Peg, you may have mentioned this as well, how this drought kind of snuck up on us. I always say you never really know you're in a drought until you're halfway through it um, because there's, a bond, there's always a bunch of things that kind of come together. You know, it's basically luck. It's like, it's like a really good golf game. You're doing everything you normally do when you play bad, but the bounces just seem to hit your way uh, or at least go your way. And in a bad golf game, they go the other way. That's basically how you get into a drought. And then oftentimes if it begins to happen in the middle of summer – uh, oftentimes the drought kind of feeds upon itself, so the widespread dryness almost takes away from the ability for the atmosphere to replenish itself from a moisture standpoint. If we do get any rain, the next chance probably won't be until Tuesday. Um, hopefully we'll get enough big, severe thunderstorms that'll keep the president out of Kenosha, Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> I didn't really say that,
5: did I? I think I did. <laughs> huh? Oh, well, I guess, look, you got a ding as well on that, so... Uh...
1: Oh, I,
3: I dig myself, that's okay uh, but you know, can I, can I say something real quickly, yeah. can Joe Biden please wake up from his week long nap
5: <laughs> because
3: I'm serious guys I'm serious, he needs to get his ass in gear, I mean he, he, <laughs> after, the, after the convention, he went to sleep dude, you get out and you should. he should have been in Portland he should have been in Lake Charles, he should have been in Kenosha, Wisconsin saying, as President of the United States, this is what I will do He's not doing it. I'm getting nervous.
5: Okay. All right. There. There's the political commentary on the show today. How about a forecast?
3: All right. Forecast. Beautiful day today. Beautiful tomorrow. Rain on Tuesday after that. Temperature is mainly in the mid to upper 70s. Anywhere between an inch to an inch and a half of rain over the next seven days. Not enough to get us out of the drop, but enjoy the weather, guys.
5: Um I I'm going to try to do that maybe you and I will get to uh, enjoy the weather uh, later this week uh, or even tomorrow Rick I'll hear a golf game Yeah I it could possibly happen I'll be in touch later today Rick Thanks a lot I'll talk to you soon All right I want to thank uh, everybody who who was on the show today and who had to put up with a lot and that includes uh, Matt Wexler Marty Travis Rodney Williams Senior Uh, Azaria Baker, Keith Tankson, Peggy Salazar, Gina Ramirez, Rick DeMaio, and of course, thanks to Nancy, who's getting Battle Pay, and Kayla, uh, and everybody who put up with this all the way through. Until next time, go green or
0: go home.
3: Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs)